listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So my dad, growing up, uh, we always loved for him to share the story of when him and my mom met, it was in one of those old school roller rinks. I think that's what they used to call them. You know, the wood floors that would clackety-clack-clack as you went around. And, and kids back then, skates had four wheels on each shoe, uh, not just two. But we, we loved for him to tell this story of how they met and how awkward he was in his shirt. He, he grew up very uh, poor and he found a shirt. The only thing he knew was to turn it inside out because it was cleaner on the inside than the outside. And how nervous he was and that he finally got up the courage to ask this uh, girl to, uh, I guess, skate around. And we loved for him to tell this story because you could see, even 55 years later, just the amount of joy that it brings to his face to retell that story. Well, John 20 this morning is a lot like that. Is that John is way up in years, knows he doesn't have many years left, it's been 50 plus years since he's walked with Jesus around Galilee and Jerusalem. And John, he sits down and he wants to give the experiences that he remembers from Jesus. And he talked about the day Jesus called him and said, hey, you follow me. Pick seven of the 35 miracles. He wrote down so many experiences. The woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, the cleansing of the temple, the Beautiful seven I am statements, the washing of the disciples' feet, the betrayal of Judas, and the trials and the death of Jesus. And John records these for us. But I believe when he gets to the end of his book, I believe it gives him chills every time he thinks about it and he retells it. I believe John almost can't contain the excitement when he reflects back and thinks about the moments that we are going to read this morning because for John, everything changes. And we're going to see five things. And this first one, I, I can't wait to get to. I've read John several times and I've never seen this until this past week. We'll see three ways to see and I've never seen this. A new family will begin. Jesus will fulfill his promise where he will turn sorrow into joy. He will then step into someone's life and shatter their disbelief. And he'll once again remind us of why he wrote the book. So Jesus, he was betrayed in the garden. He went through six trials. He was slapped, spit upon, flogged, humiliated. And they nailed him to a criminal's cross where God poured out his wrath on his son. And we came together Friday night in the service of shadows of Tenebrae and thought about that. It seems if Satan, death, and sin have won, darkness covers the midday light. And then Jesus cried out, it is finished. And he breathed his last breath. His body was carefully taken off the, the cross washed, wrapped, and laid in a borrowed tomb. Sun sets on Friday night. And then Saturday comes, and no one records anything that happened. I believe it was because it was full of grief and shock and despair. 
And then John tells us what begins to happen on Sunday morning before the sun began to rise. And we pick up in John chapter 20. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So it's early Sunday morning before the sun comes up, and Mary Magdala, she goes to the tomb. She was a woman that was a follower of Jesus. She was the one that in Luke 8, that Jesus cast out seven demons that possessed her. You see her at the cross. And now she is the very first one to the tomb. But she's not going full of hope. She's going to simply care for the body of her Lord. She's going to mourn. And when she arrived, it's almost like more salt being poured into a womb when the body of her Lord is gone. And for her first thought is some grave robbers had come to take in the body. And this is just kind of one of those things. It's like another twist of the knife that they falsely accused him. They let a criminal go free so Jesus could take his spot. And now she simply doesn't have a body to mourn over. It's like chaos upon chaos, another just cruel trick from someone. So what does she do? She runs back and finds Peter, and she finds John. And this is where we begin seeing three ways to see. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, and both men were running together. And I believe John laughs every time he writes this. But the other disciple, who was John, he outruns Peter. I mean, he wants everyone to know that will ever read this, I was faster than Peter. And they reached the tomb first. So they take off running, but once again, it's not joyful. It's, it's not this hope-filled run. They are going to look for evidence if they can discover who took the body. It's a run of desperation. It's filled with questions, and they're wanting answers. And so John outruns old poor Peter, arrives at the tomb first, but notice John wants you to know something about him. When John arrives, look at what it says at the beginning of verse 5. And stooping to look in. John won't go in. He would go into the high priest, but he stands outside the tomb. He does not want to enter. And it's because he wants you to see how he first sees. It says he saw, and that's a, a good word to underline and make a note of, the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And this word, it's belepo, and what it means, it means to notice something, but really nothing more. It's like driving down the road and you see a speed limit sign, but you don't really pay much attention. It's always there until you see flashing lights behind you. But you just notice it, but really nothing more. And John says, this was me. I looked in. I saw the linen cloths, but that was it. Nothing more. And he wants you to know his friend Peter that's a little bit slower responds very differently than John does. In verse 6, Simon Peter came running up behind him, following him, and he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloths, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. So Peter blows right past John with no hesitation, right in the tomb. 
But Peter sees very differently. He sees the linen cloths. He sees the headdressing neatly folded and lying there. But he doesn't balepo like Peter did. It's this word thoreo. And it means to look and notice, but then to look attentively. That it's almost like he's looking at something, maybe like a new building going up, and you begin wondering, what's going in there? That's how Peter sees. He's looking with great interest. And I believe it's because Peter's trying to figure this out. He's thinking, who in the world is going to take a body, take the time to unwrap it, and then neatly fold the head covering and lay it there? That's the most expensive thing would have been these linen cloths. Why would they steal a body and leave these expensive cloths lying there? But he looks attentively, but nothing is making sense. But then there's one more way to see. And it's the moment that John can't wait to tell you. I believe it's the moment that, man, he's almost been hurrying to get there because he wants you to see this. It's the moment that everything changes for John. And I believe 50 plus years later, he still loves to tell this. And the other disciple, who would have been John, when he reached the tomb first, He then also went in. He saw and believed. For as of yet, they did not understand the scripture, but that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So John finally goes in. I believe his eyes adjust to the darkness of the tomb. And there you see John sees the burial cloths and the head coverings neatly folded. And it's as if John sees for the very first time. It's the moment everything changes. Because he doesn't balepo, he doesn't thoreo. It's a word meaning adone. And it means to not only notice, not just to look attentively. It means to see and understand. That he believed. That he looks at the same exact evidence. the, The linen cloths lying there, the head covering neatly folded. But John sees this and he realizes something. And this is the moment things begin to click. He now understands that Jesus is alive. And we see then the tomb was not open to let Jesus out. It was to let Peter and John and the world in to see that Jesus was alive. And John looks at the evidence and he believes for the very first time. And this is the most powerful moment in John's life. The moment he believed. But also notice this. I think we can almost get confused that he looks at this, but he doesn't understand everything. I believe John still has some questions. And I think many of us can tend to be like that. Man, we want to believe, but we still have so many things unanswered, and we can't kind of figure everything out, and we want everything answered before we're comfortable believing. But look at the Apostle John here. John Believes, But he still doesn't understand how all the scriptures of Jesus are going to line up. But the evidence that's there, the grave clothes, the head covering, it's enough to bring John to saving faith. So listen, faith isn't figuring everything out. It isn't having all of your answer, questions answered. Faith is believing what God reveals. So John shows us three ways to see. And I think he does this with great purpose. He could have chosen different words, but he was particular about the words he chose to show you the progression. Because I think he's thinking even today that we can simply look at Jesus. Nothing more. We look, we notice, and we move on. 
Or we can look attentively and, and some of us might be sitting there and, man, we're curious and we want to figure things out. But then the last one, you can look at the evidence and you can believe that Jesus is the very Son of God who died the death that we deserved and was raised back to life. You can see and believe. And so the question is, how are you seeing Jesus this morning? And so what happens then is John, with this newfound faith, he takes us to a new creation. It's a new family begins in verse 11. And Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. So she's all alone now, no one else there. And she wept as she stooped to look into the tomb. And when she does in verse 12, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And then all of a sudden they speak. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Because she still believes that someone has taken the body. And this conversation is going on. Someone steps in behind her. And having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. We're not really for sure what happened. Maybe Jesus concealed his identity like he did to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Or maybe it was the tears in her eyes that she just couldn't quite make it out. But then the one standing now in front of her speaks. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me where they had laid him and I will take him away. Because Mary simply wants to mourn. She wants some closure. But then the man says one word that changes everything for Mary. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. I mean, he calls her by name. And we're seeing the good shepherd. He knows his sheep by name that the promise is true. But the sheep also know their shepherd. Look at what she says. She turned and she said, Rabboni, her teacher. When the shepherd calls her name, she finally recognizes who this is. And Mary is the very first one to see the risen Jesus. And I believe this is very significant. He doesn't appear to the leaders like Caiaphas or Pilate or, or the high priest or even the disciples. He appears to someone that society would look at on and most likely not believe. A woman, she couldn't stand up and testify in court. But Jesus reveals himself to a woman. Because he goes to the humble and a grieving woman. To be the first one to see his resurrected body. And I believe out of sheer joy she wraps her arms around him. And then she lo he looks at Mary and says... Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. So she runs back with a message that no one had heard yet. In fact, a hundred and eight times, Jesus refers to God as Father in the Gospel of John. 21, he says, my Father. 
71, he says, the Father. And this is the only time Jesus refers to God as the disciples' Father. And the only time Jesus calls his disciples brothers. He wants us to see there's a new family being created. The disciples are no longer cut off from God. Enemies, dead in their sins, they're now family. In fact, the same is true of everyone that comes to faith. You become a part of God's eternal, everlasting family. That God is fulfilling His promise to make a unique people that are His. And because this new family, a promise that Jesus made comes true. In verse 19, on the evening of that day, so Sunday evening, the first day of the week, the disciples are behind locked doors where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and He stood among them. He, he walked through the door or the walls just like He walked through those grave clothes. And He said to them, Peace be with you. And He had said this. He showed them His hands and His side. And then when the disciples were glad, filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father had sent me, even so I am sending you. When he said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, The forgiveness of sins for any, they will be forgiven. But if you withhold forgiveness from any, it will be withheld. So here they are, they're sitting in this room, surrounded by fear, and then all of a sudden he appears, and his words are, Peace be with you. Can't imagine what was going through their minds. What we're seeing is that when he comes forward and he shows them his hands and he shows them his sides, the promise comes true that their sorrow is turned into joy. Just like he promised. And he breathes on them, says, Receive the Spirit. And he says, Now it's your turn to take the message of forgiveness and salvation to the world. And their sorrow is turned to joy. But notice there's one missing. In verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, wasn't with them when Jesus came. So the other disciple told him, We've seen the Lord. You're not going to believe it. We haven't seen just his body. We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And what John shows us that Thomas's doubt comes front and center. That Thomas is not convinced by their word. He wants to see as they did. So eight days pass. His disciples were inside again and Thomas was now with them through the doors were locked. Jesus came and he stood among them again and he said, Peace be with you. And then he looked straight into Thomas's eyes. And he says, Thomas, come here. Put your finger here. Put your hand here. Put, your hand, put out your hand and, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord... In my God. In that moment, Thomas's disbelief is completely shattered. And we see this skeptical man. He's confronted by the evidence of Jesus' resurrection. 
And then he announces Jesus, this simple man from Galilee, is in fact God himself. And Thomas' disbelief vanishes. And what you're seeing is that from that moment of Mary to Peter and John and Thomas, that one after one, the gospel of Jesus is spreading. And this is why John sits down and writes this book. Because notice how he closes the chapter. Now Jesus, he did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. What I believe is that the Apostle John, he didn't know your name. He doesn't know my name. But he had faith that the words that the Holy Spirit led him to write would be used in your life to help you see and believe. And so this morning, you see these things. You see three ways to believe. A new family that God is creating. Sorrow turned to joy. A disbelief shattered in the life of Thomas. And then why John sat down to write these words. But you know, every Easter, I'm taken back to June of 1985. It was a scene I will never forget. It was the day I stepped foot onto Arlington National Cemetery. It's over 600 acres where over 400,000 men and women are buried. And it's an unbelievable sight. I mean, it's the greenest grass I've ever seen, perfectly manicured. Every tombstone is a perfect carbon copy, a match made of marble. And the attention to detail is just overwhelming. But there's even something more impressive. It was the tomb of the unknown soldiers. I can remember watching that soldier stand guard with such attention and there's this black mat that they would walk on and everything done in 21 is a sign of respect. It's 21 steps. They turn and face the tomb for 21 seconds. They turn in the opposite direction, change shoulders with their gun. They wait 21 seconds and then they march 21 seconds in the opposite direction, repeat it over and over again. Anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours. Rain, sleet, or snow. It's been guarded continuous since 1948. And for millions of people that visit this hallowed place, it's a place to show your respect to those that gave their lives in service to our country. Or to maybe even watch military at its finest. But there's one family that the tomb of the unknown soldiers has a greater meaning. You see, until May of 1988, there was a Vietnam soldier buried there that was only known as X-26. But on that day, it was discovered that X-26 was actually Air Force First Lieutenant Michael Blasey. I mean, on that day for that family, everything changed. You see, the tomb of the unknown was not just a place to be impressed by the dedication of the sentinel guards or a, a place to show your respect. For the Blase family, it was a place that held their loved one. For that family, they saw the tomb very different from the millions of visitors. So I'd like to ask you this morning, how 
Are you seeing the resurrection of Jesus? Are you like John where you're just looking in and you're, just, you're noticing but, but nothing more? Or are you like Peter where he first ran in, blew past John, and he saw the evidence and he looked attentively and he's trying to figure things out? Or are you like John that finally goes in, he sees those burial cloths and that head covering neatly folded, and he saw and he believed. Meaning, is the resurrection just something uh, to think about and to give your respects to? Or is the resurrection the very thing that gives your life meaning and hope? But I want you to know this morning that without belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no hope. You can believe he's a good man. You can even believe he did some incredible miracles. But without belief that he was raised back to life, you're sitting here without hope. In fact, the resurrection is the only answer to your problem and my greatest problem of sin and death. And that's where Jesus stared into death's cold, cruel eyes, and with infinite power he defeated sin and death, rendering them powerless over those that would believe. And this morning, Jesus' resurrection shouts out that this hope is real. And so here's the two questions. Do you have this hope this morning? If you don't, would you reach out and ask him to give you the faith as he did John to see and believe? And if you do this morning, believe that Jesus conquered death so that you can live for the next life, an eternal one, not just this temporary one. That we are actually, it says, that we are participants in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That death no longer has hold on you. In fact, death brings you the best thing that can ever happen. It brings you face to face with your Savior. Because Jesus conquered death and lives. Death no longer has claim over you. And you are free to live for what will last. So church, here's my prayer this morning. That we would see and believe this. That hope, it has a name. Joy has a name. Peace has a name. Freedom has a name. Love has a name. And that name is Jesus Christ. And He is risen. He is risen indeed. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.